good to take that on board that you know they had a problem, a problem in the church. Yeah, there was some argument going on who was getting the best deal, and uh, what do they do? They turn in prayer. They seek people full of the Holy Spirit for serving tables. <laughs> yeah, not for doing all this spiritual stuff. They seek people full of the Holy Spirit, and they pray. And the apostles say, we're not called to do the tables. We're called for the ministry of the word and prayer. <laughs> prayer, 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 prayer. <laughs> I'm going to sing a song which uh, I'm sure we all love, which is uh, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And uh, just concentrate on what a friend we have in Jesus. Not what a friend I have in Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus all together. second reading for us. Uh, this is from Acts chapter 4, verses 23 to 31. 
Uh, it follows on from um, when Peter and John have a grilling by the Sanhedrin and the Jewish leaders. It's entitled, The Believers Pray. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and earth and sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. It's September. According to the meteorologists, it's autumn. <laughs> the weather hasn't got a different idea, I think, this week. It's going to be a, another summer, but there we go. I always get it wrong. And it's time for the children to go back to school. Um, officially, the start of term for Surrey was on Friday, um, but uh, a bit silly going back to school for one day, so most teachers went to school to do some in-service training instead. So uh, schools probably start this week. I think our elder grandson... Uh, starts at Rodborough on Tuesday. So uh, <laughs> they gradually get in there eventually. And so we also resume our midweek activities. Uh, not this week, but next week. Um, the toddler group starts, the children's group starts, and so on. And in one sense, as a church, we sort of start our life together again in September. I don't know why we do it in September. We do have a church year with Easter and Pentecost and <laughs> everything else and harvest. But there is a sort of coming together in September and a relaunch and a restart. And we're starting, of course, our month as usual, uh, a good habit, I believe, devoted to a vital component of what we do together, and of course that's prayer. Hopefully we'll be starting as we mean to go on. Jesus himself said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And in prayer we remind ourselves that we are totally dependent on our Lord. As I was preparing, a couple of verses in particular came to my attention from John 14, in verses 12 and 13, where Jesus says before his death and resurrection, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Jesus reminds the disciples that there are advantages to his going to the Father. 
Without his ascension, there wouldn't have been perhaps the coming of the Holy Spirit. His no longer physical presence is replaced by a universal presence of God with us. And it starts with very truly, or in the old versions, verily, verily. <laughs> Underline, note this. <laughs> yeah, don't just sort of put it to one side. Note what's happening here. Very, verily, truly, truly, I tell you. Well, who's it addressed to? Is it addressed to the disciples, the 12 apostles only? No, it says, whoever believes in me. So this promise of greater things, because I'm going to the Father, is not just for the 12 disciples, but for all of us. And the promise is that whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these. Do you want to see greater things? Yeah. Do you want to see people come to faith and the church building filling up again? What are we going to do about it? I need to remind you that there were no verses in the original Gospels. Right? These were a later addition for our convenience. Right? But sometimes they're a bit of a problem. Because we tend to break things apart which shouldn't actually be broken apart. They should be staying together. Because they follow on from one another. And that's exactly what we've got here. Because verse 13 begins... And I will do whatever you ask in my name. There's a connection, isn't there? Between seeing greater things and doing the works God, Jesus did while he was here and prayer. I will do whatever you ask in my name. Why? So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. It's where we started from. God needs the glory. Not us, not our great plans, not everything we're going to do, but God So, there's a book that's been written by Ronald Dunn, who says, don't just uh, stand there, pray something. Because I wonder what uh, you think when you read, whatever you ask in my name. Asking in my name, what does that mean? It's not simply adding the words, in the name of Jesus, to the end of whatever you pray. Like some kind of magic incantation. <laughs> Open sesame. It's not, it doesn't work like that. Praying in the name of Jesus, according to Ronald Dunn, is this. To pray in the name of Jesus means to pray by the authority of and in harmony with or sanctioned by Jesus Christ. It's very closely linked to our Lord. He has given us the right to pray in this name because we are his representatives. And we ask us his representatives because we are about his business. To pray in the name of Jesus then is to pray according to his will, with his approval, and consistent with his nature, his character, and his purpose. The early followers of Jesus at the beginning of Acts had certainly seen greater things, hadn't they? The eleven apostles, along with the others, including women, returned to the room in Jerusalem where they were staying, and scripture says, what? They all joined together constantly in prayer. Got all those words? The believers, all, not some, all joined together in prayer. That's what they did. And what happened next? The Holy Spirit fell. Pentecost happened. Fell on those in one place and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues and in the power of the Spirit. The people listening thought they were drunk. 
Peter addressed the crowd, and the result? The people were cut to the heart, and about 3,000 were added to that number that day. That can happen. It's happened. Yeah? Let's acknowledge this is the truth of Scripture. This is the history. And our readings, you know, the reading in from Acts 6 talked about the, the church was growing. It was thriving. And people were adding, even priests who were religious and things got even converted. The early church of Acts were a people who prayed together. In the book of Acts, there are 31 times that we find people praying. And within those 31 times, 14 times, it's an individual who's praying. Two times, it's two or more are praying in a small group. And 15 times, the majority of the time, it's the church praying together. Yeah? So good. If you pray individually, hallelujah. Yeah? Let's access God. Let's bring our needs and give him the praise. Let's do that. Do it in twos and threes as well. But do it all together. <laughs> so let's move on in the story of early church and pick up this reading. As uh, Ed said, it uh, needs a bit of context, really. The beginning of chapter three, you remember? What were Peter and John doing? Going to the temple to... <laughs> it's a magic this word isn't it? going to the church to pray and they meet a lame man at the beautiful gate and he wants money he's begging and they say silver and gold I don't have but what I give you in the name of Jesus stand up and walk so here's a man who can't walk he can't do the impossible but Jesus says in the name of Jesus Walk. And Peter helps him up. A bit of assistance. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. And then what did he do? He went to the temple courts walking and praising God. And it grabbed everybody's attention, doesn't it? And Peter speaks to the onlookers, pointing them to Jesus and reminding them of what had happened to Jesus in accordance with earlier prophecies. Ah, but then the religious people turn up. Those priests and temple guards. And they just want to shut down this whole thing down, you know. They want to try and deny what God has done. They want to put them in the jail until the next day. We'll sort them out. We'll stop this thing. However, many who had heard Peter believed. And the church grew some more. Bit of a theme here. Prayer. The next day, a religious court called the Sanhedrin, as Ed pointed out, headed up by Anna, the high priest, asked Peter, by what power or what name did you do this? Peter again has an opportunity to speak the gospel boldly and tells them that it's in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth that the lame man has been healed. And he goes on to say a magic scripture, isn't it? A good scripture have in your mind. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved other than the name of Jesus. That's not very popular these days to say the only way to salvation is Jesus. But that's what the truth is. 
And Peter and John are ordered to withdraw from the Sanhedrin, and so they have a discussion. What are we going to do with these good people? They realise they can't deny the healing, and eventually they call John, Peter and John back in and tell them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. There were further threats, and then they let Peter and John go. So what would you do? Just a few suggestions. Keep quiet for a while, let it all die down a bit, you know, let, let's get back to normal. Meet with the other apostles, discuss a new strategy, a better way of doing things. Perhaps organise a protest march against religious discrimination. Or just carry on regardless. What did they do? Well, that's where our story begins. What did they do? No, they didn't pray straight away. What did the first thing that Peter and John do after they were released? No. Not home, no. Well, they did in a sense, but not their own house. They went to... No, they didn't go to the temple. Cool, they don't read the scriptures. <laughs> well, oh dear, whoops, beg your pardon. That's Fred just saying he loves you. <laughs> Okay. Um, they didn't go home. They didn't go to the temple. They went to meet with the brothers and sisters who were believers. They went to the house where the church was meeting. And what did they do when they got there? Hey. No. <laughs> You're getting all the wrong answers in. They told them what happened. They reported. I think it's often good before we pray to know what we're praying about, know what's happened, what are the problems, what's the situation, yeah? Before that, so reporting back, I, I, I struggle sometimes when people get a bit sort of shy and sort of say, well, it's a bit private, I don't really want prayer for that. You know, but you know, I struggle with that sometimes because you know, we're in this together, we're in a family, yeah? And we need to just let other people know where we are so that we can pray meaningfully and so that we can pray and see answers to prayer and God acting yeah we're a body and each of us is a part of it in 1 Corinthians it says there should be no division in the body but that its parts should have equal concern for each one if one part suffers every part suffers with it if one part is honest, honoured every part rejoices with it we're in this together all together. We just studied the book of Acts. In chapter 5, verse 13, we read, Is anyone among you in trouble? Your answer, Sue? Pray. <laughs> Let them pray. You're on ball this time. Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. So what's your reaction when someone posts in our WhatsApp NBC family group that they or a friend have a problem, be it an illness or something else? Of course, you may post a praying hands emoji. Spot on. Maybe even two praying hands emoji. Double spot on. But really, do we then go on to definitely pray and lift that person up? Yeah. 
It's not just putting a little... Encourage, it's encouraging to say those praying emojis, but we need to pray on as well. And then, having reported the story, what did they immediately do? Did they have a discussion? Did they decide what the new strategy was going to be? No. What did they do? <laughs> Every time I point you to it's pray. <laughs> The church turned together in prayer. So often when we're faced with the situation, we can spend far too long, too long talking about the problem, thinking what we can do and how best we can respond. We might even want to know, wanted to know even more what happened to Peter and John. Go on, tell us more about it. This does not mean we shouldn't listen or give time to those going through difficult circumstances. However, our prime response should go straight to God in prayer. Because the verse 24 says, when they heard the news, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. And what did they say? How did they start? Sovereign Lord. They said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. The real work of the church is not discussing a problem. The real work of the church is not gossiping about a problem. The real work of the church is to hit our knees and pray about the problem. Prayer should be our first response and not our last one. Note also that the church did not spend time worrying about the Sanhedrin. They didn't worry about the opposition. They didn't worry about the people causing the problem. Rather, they went straight to God as the creator. Sovereign Lord. They acknowledge that God is always bigger than our problems. Yeah? God is always stronger than our weaknesses. God is all-powerful. And they went straight to the sovereign Lord who created everything. That was where the answer was going to come from. That's the person they were going to speak to. I'm afraid that when we pray, sometimes we try to box God in and say, well, you've got to do it this way, Lord, or you've got to do it the way I think it should work. But we need to allow God to act in his way. When we pray for one another, we need to be careful to give freedom to move in God to move in ways we have not even given thought to. And then, in verse 31, the next thing that happened was the church was once again filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 31 says, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Shaking is not something that was unique, again. Think of another story in Philippi. You remember that Paul and Silas were in prison and they were praying and singing hymns to God. And what happened? God moved. God's presence entered that building. There was a bit of an earthquake and the building was shaken. They were loosed. And what happened after that? The church grew. The Philippian jailer and his family came to faith. It's amazing, the connections. When we meet together, even as two or three, God's presence is with us. But we don't always have the awareness of his presence. We know he's present, but we don't understand it. I believe when the church abandons itself to prayer, the presence of God is perceived. When we give God the glory that he deserves, 
then his presence falls upon us. We know then that God is with us, working, moving and answering. In the face of insurmountable difficulties, the assurance of his presence is sufficient. We look around the church in the West, or I do anyway, and so often the corporate prayer meeting is not that well supported, a bit of a Cinderella meeting. And then we wonder why perhaps we're not seeing so much power of God in the churches. I really do think there's a connection. A corporate prayer meeting should never be a place where we just bring our shopping list of requests to God, as though he's some kind of Father Christmas. Dish out the presence, God. Don't do that. Come to him as instead as an opportunity to encounter the presence of God, to praise him, to thank him, to give him the glory for all that he's done for us, to ask in the name of Jesus, according to his will, and also to hear from him, as I've just related, you know, we heard through scriptures from the Lord yesterday, so important that all of us love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and love each other and love our neighbours as ourselves. Another aspect is when we gather to pray, it's so important we're united that we're behind one another. When it talks about praying together, that's what the church did. It also says in some translations, they prayed with one accord. They were backing each other up. Yeah? They were standing beside each other. It's almost like embracing one another and saying, we're all in this together, I agree with you. And we've got a verse that goes with that, of course, which is Matthew 18. Verse 19, again, truly I tell you, if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Agreement in prayer is so important. Despite the fact that the prayer in Acts 4 does not record that they pray to be filled with the Holy Spirit, that was the outcome of a corporate prayer meeting. The place was shaking and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Over the years, we perhaps have seen, I've seen certainly, the way being filled with the Holy Spirit has changed. It used to be that Christians wanted the fullness of the Spirit for power. Power to serve Christ, power to witness, and power to live for him. That's what Christ promised the gift of the Holy Spirit was for, power, power to witness. Now we seem to act as though the purpose of being filled is not power in serving, but more pleasure in living. The goal of it is to feel good and have a tremendous experience. I'm afraid many more of us are interested in the feeling of the Holy Spirit than the filling of the Holy Spirit. In the end, and I'm now coming to the end, there were consequences from this church in Acts praying together. The place where they were meeting was shaken, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they all spoke the word of God boldly. 
And if you, again, forgetting this thing about verses, get in the way and we separate everything. So that was the believers pray. Okay, that's that. Let's stop. Well, if you just go into the next two verses, there were a few more little consequences of the corporate prayer meeting. All the believers, in verses 32 and 33, all the believers were one in heart and mind. They shared everything they had. They continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. I don't know about you, but those are some of the consequences I'd like to see from us praying together. <laughs> that we're one in heart and mind. That we share everything we have. That we love one another. We love God. Prayer is vital for both of us individually and as a church. But I believe there is a priority in praying together. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. I'm sure whether we all pray regularly or not at specific times or when there's specific needs, some of us find it easy. Some of us find it easy to find the time. Some of us less so. Some perhaps struggle with unanswered prayers. Prayers that we feel should have been answered but they aren't. Others can often feel guilty for not praying enough. I hate it when I read about Luther saying, I'm so busy today. I'm not doing two hours prayer, I'm doing three hours prayer. I'll get up at five o'clock this morning. Doesn't that make you feel, whoa. <laughs> but don't feel guilty about that. God doesn't want to condemn us. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. He wants to encourage us to enter his presence. We want to encounter his presence and ask in Jesus' name. So I just appeal to you this morning to recognise the priority of praying together. And try and make it one of your priorities during this month of prayer that you pray with others. Whether that be all of us or whether it be twos and threes, let's pray together yeah, as well as individually this month and bring what God is on God's heart to him that this church may be filled with the Holy Spirit and that we may speak the word of God boldly. Amen. <laughs>